It's time for Real Ag Radio on Rural Radio Channel 147 on Sirius XM. Radio and RealEggCulture.com is your home for insight and analysis of the issues that are impacting your farm business. Let's get real and get connected with Real Ag Radio. Welcome to Real Ag Radio here on Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Sean Haney, your host here on this Monday edition of the show. Hey, thanks so much for making Real Ag Radio and Rural Radio 147 a big part of your workday. Also, a big shout out to everybody listening out there on the Real Ag Radio podcast. Really appreciate you uh, tuning in, providing your feedback. And speaking of feedback, you could do so by sending me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can also find us across all the different social media platforms. we got threads, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, as well as TikTok. Or you can call that Real Ag Feedback line, 855-776-6147. It's Agronomic Monday here today on the show, and I hope you had yourself a great weekend. We're going to tackle agronomics. We got uh, we got an all star lineup here today. We're bringing the best for you here today on the show in the middle of the growing season. We got Albert Tenuta, pathologist with Omafra. We're going to hit on tar spot. And you heard about this last week on the show a lot. In, in terms of we got the right conditions for tar spot. We didn't have a lot of tar spot last year. That we did find it, but this year the conditions are a lot more ideal. Albert's going to talk about that. We got Nicholas Waters who is with Lollamont in a product spotlight jeremy boychin from alberta wheat and barley commission will be here haven't had him on for a while and looking forward to it jeremy is just so insightful great agronomist in uh, the calgary area working for alberta wheat commission and uh, we got peter Wee johnson here to finish up the show and wrap it all up and uh, provide us with his perspective so a lot of great stuff here today on the show looking forward to it you know got a ton of great feedback on the show that we did on Friday. Sorry, no real ag issues panel last week, but you know what? We had a lot of fun at the Lethbridge Bulls versus the Moose Jaw Miller Express, their game on uh, the end of last week. And uh, it was great to do the show with the, for the Invigor series on location. It was great with BSF Canada. And I uh, got a lot of great feedback. People know that I love baseball, so it was a great sort of cross-pollination of uh, of my world between you know doing this show broadcasting about agriculture on a daily basis and then worked in some baseball had my son Caleb on the show which everybody uh, you know so got some great feedback in terms of like that had to be pretty special it was a special moment and not to do some some bragging here but I got to do some bragging as you know the dad so sat, uh, Saturday night we're at the Western Canadian Baseball League All Star game and Caleb was uh, an All Star. He actually hit a home run, hit a, uh, also a single, uh, two RBIs, two runs, was two for three, and was named the game MVP, which well, we were with my parents, and uh, my wife Trish was there, and it was a really, really special moment uh, for to be able to do that. It, just watch it, and we were so proud of him. So, uh, yeah, if you, and if you, missed, if you missed the show on Friday, go back and uh, check it out. Okay, we got to take a break. <laughs> Enough baseball. Let's get to agronomics. When we come back, we're talking to Albert Tanuta from Omafro right after this. Infuse some energy into your next corporate event, customer meeting, or conference with Real Ag Radio, Canada's national agriculture radio show. Create a unique experience at your next event with host Sean Haney, broadcasting Real Ag Radio live on Sirius XM. 
featuring exciting guests, captivating interviews, and the latest news from the agriculture community. Contact advertising at realagriculture.com or call 587-787-1795 to book your on-location with Real Ag Radio today. I am your host today, Lindsay Smith, and now we have a product spotlight. I've got with me Michelle Gemmel. She's the National Market Sense Leader with Cargill. Okay, tell me about Market Sense. What is this product? Yeah, so Market Sense is a subscription-based service that we offer from Cargill. It's really focused on helping our farm clients make confident green marketing decisions. It involves a team of advisors who come to your farm. We would then provide market insights and strategies throughout the year to help you manage risk and maximize opportunity. What we've found too is over the last two decades, we have a proven formula for success that matches the farmer's unique individual situation with our marketing insights and our portfolio of specialized grain contracts. So for those who might be interested in Cargill's Market Sense program, where can they go? CargillAg.ca slash Market Sense. Or you can visit one of our locations nearby to you and ask to speak to one of our advisors. I'm pretty fired up for Agronomic Monday today. It's going to be fun. Albert, Jeremy, and Peter, as well as a product spotlight from Lolly Mons. It's going to be a lot of. This be a lot of fun here today. Hey, the Canadian Beef Industry Conference is at the BMO Center on Stampede Park in Calgary, Alberta, from August 15th through the 17th. Like, like Stampede finished on the weekend. But there's a lot of stuff that happens at Stampede Park throughout the summer, and uh, the Canadian Beef Industry Conference is one of them. Join the industry proud, innovative, and loyal. We are beef. Build your network through the speakers, trade show, and entertainment. Visit CanadianBeefIndustryConference.com for full details and to register today. Joined right now by a great friend of Real Agriculture, it is Albert Tenuta. He is field crop pathologist with Omafra out of Ontario. Hey, Albert, how's it going? Excellent. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. This is uh, we are we're in the depths of the growing season now, and uh, definitely got a lot of variability across the different geographies that we talk about here at Real Agriculture. But we we know one thing: the conditions have uh, relatively lined up fairly well. I'll let you comment on that when it comes to the disease that I know you've uh, you've uh, uh, I should say probably answered a lot of questions on in the past two three years, and that's tar spot. Uh, what's happening on the field? Oh, absolutely. Tar spot is one of those hot topics that we've seen, um, you know, from 2020 and beyond and, and definitely over the past couple of years as we've seen it established in Ontario as well. Um, we are seeing, same as you mentioned, the variability across the province. Um, earlier dry conditions have now um, been replaced by frequent uh, rain events, high humidity, heavy dews, a lot of those conditions that are, are quite favorable to, to tar spot. And, uh, in the past, we've seen tar spot around that first week of July to second week of July. And again, this year, same time frame. We confirmed it earlier this week. I was just out in the field, uh, my trial location, not far from my place here in Rodney, Ontario. And we're starting to pick up more and more very small lesions. And again, as expected with the weather conditions, it's starting to, to to build up. Considering that, though, it's still at very low levels. Mm. Okay, well, that's a positive. Now, do, do you expect, based on those conditions and those frequent rain events, as you as you discussed, does is this a year where we we can expect a, a heavy level of load of of the pathogen? Well, the first year 
we talked about this before, Sean, in uh, 2021, going into where we were in 2020 with very little overwintering and dependent on the U.S. for inoculum, I was surprised in 2021 how much tar spot we had, right? So I'm not predicting anything with this particular disease because it seems to go, but but you're right. Environment is a strong driver when it comes to a tar spot disease. And so we do have those, the environmental conditions, those, those heavy dews, uh, those consistent, you know, those six to seven hour dews, those moderate temperatures and that. But really important for growers to understand right now is the environment drives it for sure. But understand your farm risk. Remember, you can't manage weather. But we can manage some of the things we can. You know, field history. What's what's your field history? What's your local history of tar spot? For instance, in southern Ontario, if you're in the lower five or six counties, London and south, more traditional, higher potential for overwintering and inoculum load. Understanding what hybrids you've got in there. Are they more susceptible, more tolerant? You've probably had those discussions with your, your crop consultant, your retailer, seed dealer, and that. And also focus on those fields with high yield potential. Those are ones that are are ones that I would be uh, targeting right now and uh, looking at. Now, uh, it, do I have to, like, if I see the legion, lesions, should I say, um, and now what do I do? What, what What's my next step? Yeah, now? well... Well, the important part right now is to be out there and scout, right? And and be out there to scout and and determine, um, you know, whether you've got it there. If it's in the region, like I had mentioned as well, and so target those high risk fields first. Because the the question we're getting and what you're getting to is, do I spray or do I not spray, right? And uh, right now, looking at the corn, for most of us, we're into that. Just pre-tassel, actually, out this morning, I've got some ours were planted uh, just before our, our May long weekend, so it was May 22nd. We've got some of the early hybrids in there that are starting to silk already. And so we're getting into that cr- critical uh, staging, cr- uh, corn growth staging for, for fungicide applications. So one thing to do is uh, definitely be out there, scout. As I said, target those fields that have a history of disease, more residue. Residue can play a factor here as well. So corn on corn, heavy residue, those are the fields that you probably want to target as well, as I said, those high-yield fields with those susceptible hybrids, uh, particularly under these favorable weather conditions. Also, there's a new an app that's available through uh, Dr. Damon Smith, a good friend of mine from University of Wisconsin, Tar Spotter. That's okay. one that we can utilize as well to help us in terms of what the risk is. For your for your environment as well uh, for your fields as well as maybe help target um, your fungicide applications. I was running Tar Spotter the other day. The Southwest is is moderate risk. It was interesting that as you got farther uh, from London up and east, you were into higher um, risk factors for for Tar Spot. Um, and then we've seen those storm fronts coming across those regions lately as well. You know, I was talking to an agronomist last week from from Corteva, and we were talking about not dropping your guard, right? That we have we have you you may have selected a hybrid that has a high tolerance, not resistant. Key key difference there. We got to remember that, and and don't fall into the and I and I, I like to poke you a little bit. Uh, you know, oh, Albert scared me last year, and there was I didn't see it. So you know, I, I'm not going to fall for this again and get all worried. Every year is not the same. Absolutely. Every year is different. Now, one thing that we do know 
when it comes to tar spot, you know, the focus is on tar spot. You know, we've had this discussion, but don't forget, there's other diseases out there too, right? Northern mm-hmm. corn leaf blight. We're seeing some anthracnose uh, leaf blight right now that, you know, I don't worry so much about the early conditions, uh, early uh, anthracnose, but northern corn leaf blight, the gray leaf spots, if we continue with these wet conditions, those again are favorable for many of these other foliar diseases. And you know, if we go back to 2018, we're, as I said, we're getting into that silken period, um, and tassel period now and these frequent rains. And it looks like we're in this pattern, at least for the end of July, that, um, we could be hitting very favorable conditions, potentially for gibberella, ear rot and dawn as well. So the good news, Sean, is that if you're targeting a fungicide, the timing that we have that has been most consistent, both from an Ontario as well as U.S. colleague, uh, trials that we're part of is that our timing, that VT, that tassel silken application has been the most consistent. Good to know. Okay. I had uh, a, a listener uh, ask me a question last week and they'll pose it to you because you're going to have the answer. Uh, I'm intending to use my corn for silage. Do mm-hmm. I still need to worry about spraying for tar spot? Well, for, for silage, in most cases, um, you're still going to be targeting that VT because gibberella is going to be your key, right? So both in terms of the mycotoxin side of things and silage qualities is going to be critically important. So those are still going to be your, your main focus, the feed value and uh, maintaining or minimizing any mycotoxin, mycotoxin risks there. So that VT application is, is just perfectly set up for that silage grower as well. Now, with silage, you do have some more flexibility too. If, for instance, you were into a, a later tar spot um, infection and it was ramping up quite quickly, um, you know, Damon and Wisconsin and other areas, what they found is that you have the flexibility to come in with a late application if you had to, because but you're not targeting so much the tar spot at that point. You're targeting more the quality, the feed quality, trying to protect that. Another question from uh, an audience member, uh, and I know you have, uh, you're from OMAFRA, the O stands for Ontario, but uh, I know you talk to pathologists really uh, across a number of uh, wide geographies. Do I have to be worried about it if I'm in Manitoba? Yeah, so when we start thinking about tar spot, both, you know, Manitoba corn corn acres are are less there in, in many cases uh, compared to, say, Ontario and into Quebec. But yes, we're starting to see tar spot increase into North Dakota's, Wisconsin, very similar to what we've seen with soybean systematode, for instance, right? It's going to eventually get there. Will the impact be as great? Um, a lot of that will depend on the environment. Where I'm more concerned about or where we're getting more questions also about is that eastern Ontario. So if you think of New York State, Pennsylvania, those areas now are starting to become annual uh, tar spot being found there. So it is moving east and northeast. And so if you think into that eastern Ontario, Quebec, and uh, and beyond, uh, even into the Maritimes, those are potential areas. Albert, you've been really spending a, a lot of time on this, uh, this issue of tar spot. What surprises you most about this disease? Well, it's how quickly it can develop is, is one thing, and how unpredictable it can be. Like I said, in 2021, um, I didn't expect it to be as, I won't use the word epidemic because that's bad, but it was, it was much more tar spot than I expected. It was able to utilize the environmental conditions that were provided to it. We had that big sink from the U.S. and it, and it, it, 
you know, you were, you've been at tar fields too, and and that, and we just had a lot of it developed so rapidly by, um, you know, those those plants or those fields were shut down by the end of August, and uh, and then last year expecting, okay, now it's established, we got more, we're going to see more. And well, last year the environment was much different, right? We went from a wet to a more dry environment and it really reduced the risk and it delayed it later. And if that's the general trend, that's good for us because the later, the better. This year, I'm thinking it's going to be in between those two, Sean. We're going to be between where we were in 2021 and where we were going to be in 2022 for sure. You mentioned there's other diseases we should be looking out for. Give us a quick run there just again. Yeah, so northern corn leaf blight is is one of the big ones for us in Ontario. We've seen, um, you know, we've got many different races of uh, northern corn leaf blight. The resistance genes that are available are effective, but now with these more races developing, we're able to bypass those those resistance genes. So just because you've got a variety, as you mentioned, you've got a variety that's resistant or tolerant, doesn't mean you have to drop your guard. Your guard's always on, on uh, has to be up and ready to go. And so evaluate. And that's the most important thing. And I think that's something that we're maybe not doing. We're all busy in that, but just get out there, scout your fields. Um, if, you're, if your hybrid is good for northern corn leaf blight and you're seeing more northern corn leaf blight, ask the question why. Same thing, you know, we're talking about these fungicides that we have available for many of the foliar fungicides or insecticides or herbicides. If you don't see the results you expect, ask the question, is something going on? We're starting to see resistance uh, issues. We know about genetic resistance. We'll have a show later on and talk about uh, fungicide resistance that we're starting to see in Ontario in soybeans as well. And uh, so that is, I think, one of the most important things. Uh, So northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot is the other one. Uh, for now, and then Gibberellia rot. Scout, 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 scout. That is the key. That is the name of the game, my friends. And uh, you uh, talked about it very, very well, Albert. We've been talking to Albert Tenuta. He is field crop pathologist with Olmafra. Albert, thanks a lot for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Take care. And make sure everybody, if you do have, uh, you want some more information, make sure you go to some of our crop schools we have at Real Agriculture. For example, the Corn School. You can find it at cornschool.com, brought to you by BSF Canada and Pride Seeds. When we come back on Real Ag Radio, we're going to hear from Lollimon in a product spotlight. You're listening to Real Ag Radio, Rural Radio 147, Sirius XM. Advanced canola trait technology is here. And it's soon to be the talk of the town. Optimum Gly delivers excellent yield potential and agronomic trait performance. Improved crop safety. Enhanced weed control. And a wider window of application. You're going to want to see this. Learn more at OptimumGly.ca. As you head out into the field this season, The Corn School's got you covered. Everything from tillage discussions, weed control info, field trial results, yield strategies, and more. The Corn School on realagriculture.com has the information and advice you need to help you succeed. Brought to you by Pride Seeds and BASF. Corn School episodes are available at cornschool.com, from realagriculture.com, or as a podcast from your favorite streaming service. Download the latest episode today. Hi, I'm Bernard Tobin, host 
host of the Soybean School on realagriculture.com. Throughout the year, on the Soybean School, we'll bring you timely agronomic video content from planting to harvest, from the latest agronomic research to the latest in production technology. Check out our massive video library on YouTube, realagriculture.com, or download the audio podcast versions wherever you get your podcasts. The Soybean School is brought to you by Pride Seeds, BASF, and Syngenta Canada. And welcome back to Real Ag Radio. It's now time for a product spotlight with Lollamond. And we are talking right now to Nicholas Waters. He is their technical support agronomist for Canada. Nicholas, great to have you on the show. Hey, Sean. I was everything for you now. Ah, things are great. Good. Things are good. I, I have no complaints at all. Nothing. Awesome. Um, okay, so let, let's start off here. I, I, I think we need to make sure the audience knows some of the background and story around Lollamond. Who is Lollamond? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for the question. So, Lollamond is a, a Canadian company based out of Montreal. We produce uh, microbes uh, for a century now, uh, mostly at the beginning for bakery, so yeast for bakery. And from there, we move from bakery to winemaking, cheese making, animal nutrition, and also ethanol production. Uh, but with all of those business units have one thing in common, which is microbes. So that's what we do. We produce microbes with and, and try to have the good application and what's not. Now, on the plant care side of things, we introduce some technology, whether it's biofertilizer or uh, biopesticide. And in that case, we introduce a, a technology called valorized tart that will help us uh, have a good phosphorus uptake for most of our crop. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement around this product. So t- talk about some of the benefits and features, characteristics of Larise Start and what it does. Sure. Uh, so Larise Start is a bacteria, a bacteria that could develop quickly in the root system, and that will actually solubilize phosphorus. So now, why is that exciting? Uh, the answer is uh, because, you know, phosphorus is a really important nutrient for crops. But on Western Canada especially, part of the problem is the IPH of the soil, or even below the too low pH of the soil, meaning that sometimes even when we apply FOSS, it's actually never make it to the, into the plant. So what the bacillus will do is that it will make it available for the plant, whether it's the phosphorus that we use today or the one that we've been using in the past, so that we make sure that the plant always have access to a decent amount of phosphorus, and that will have a, a good response on the yield. So what form does the product come in? Is this uh, seed applied? Is this foliar applied? Talk about the application of the product. Sure. It's a liquid, really highly concentrated uh, inoculant. It could be applied on seed. It could be applied also in furrow for those people that would like to do that. On seed application work great. It's really compatible with a lot of, 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 of chemical uh, use as seed treatment today. So it's a really strong bacteria, really easy to use. And uh, yeah. And, and in, from a geographical standpoint, I know you mentioned Western Canada, but uh, I assume it has application across a number of different geographies. Uh, talk about where it has some of its best fits. Absolutely. Uh, well, actually, that's one of the, the, the key points with this product is that it seems that we have really consistent results in a lot of range of pH and soil condition. And that's probably one of the sometimes challenge with some biotechnology that we have inconsistency. While with this particular product, every time phosphorus is involved, we have a yield response and we have something. Because uh, even though growers may, may use phosphorus a lot, uh, the uptake is not always the best. Uh, so all over Canada today, we are fully registered uh, and, and ready to go. And uh, yeah, that's one of the exciting points with this product. And, and in terms of some of your trialing and some of your demo sites, you've def- you, you mentioned you, you've seen uh, high and consistent results. 
Absolutely. The consistency so far is uh, actually part of the challenge. I, I'm still waiting for some bad results. Uh, we'll have some, I guess. Usually we have. <laughs> There's always something happening. But uh, today we see some yield bomb going from, you know, modest 2% to as high as more than 10% yield bomb in different conditions. Uh, and it, so, yeah, the consistency seems to be one of the key. And one of the challenges is that it seems to be working pretty much all over the place. So, Nicholas, if somebody wants more information on Lalamond or LaRise Start, where do they find it? Yeah, it's really easy. You just have to go on lalamondplantcare.com or lalamond.com, and it will be easy to find us there. We are also attending Ag in Motion. I'm not sure if it's, uh, it's already done, so we'll be at boot uh, 152. Uh, Come and see, uh, and see us. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Hey, Nicholas, thanks so much for joining us here today on Real Ag Radio for this product spotlight. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Sean. Have a good day. We'll be right back on Real Ag Radio right after this. If you're involved in the agriculture industry, it's important to stay informed on all the latest issues affecting your business. At realagriculture.com, we offer fast, reliable news, information, and insights to help you keep on top of all of the latest in Canadian agriculture. Visit realagriculture.com and sign up for our free daily newsletter covering everything from news, agronomy, animal agriculture, and much more. Visit realagriculture.com forward slash subscribe today. Whether you're seeding, harvesting, or anything in between, the Wheat School on realagriculture.com has you covered. Timely agronomic information from industry experts available online anytime. Give your wheat crop a good start and a great finish with the Wheat School on realagriculture.com. Brought to you by CNM Seeds, Syngenta Canada, and the Alberta Wheat and Barley Commission. Welcome back to Real Ag Radio here on Agronomic Monday. We're joined right now by Jeremy Boychin. He is Agronomy Research Extension Manager with Alberta Wheat and Barley Commissions. Hey, Jeremy, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's exciting to be here. Hey, okay. So uh, we could complain about the weather, Mother Nature not being super cooperative for a lot of the growers that you talk to on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, but uh, we got some topics to cover here. Let's get to it. Um, you got a question actually from a farmer on the prairies about the response of uh, on the I guess the impact on yield based on a fungicide application on barley and and what to look out for. Let's talk about. Let's start there. Yeah, and uh, you know this is an interesting conversation I had because they you know we talk about a lot about the response of, of wheat to a fungicide and we know that you know when there's disease pressure situations and that and that variety is susceptible to the diseases that you're seeing. We see decent responses and, and you know, a 5 to 45% response of fungicide on wheat, you know, we know we can get in that range depending on, um, you know, those, those disease factors. But the question came in about barley and, and typically there isn't as much conversation happening on barley. Um, and, and we have some research in Western Canada looking at the response of a fungicide application um, in barley. Uh, you know, the disease focused on Metcalf 
um, in a variety of different regions across Western Canada. This was done by Dr. Kelly Turkington out of AASC Lacombe. Um, and they did different timings of fungicide applications. They actually did a, a half rate a herbicide timing, um, but they did do uh, a flag leaf application. And what they saw with Metcalf when there was disease present um, is actually about a 10 bushel increase um, of, of yield response. So we know that we can get a decent response uh, when there's uh, disease present. Um, and we make that application at the right timing. And then the other question and consideration that comes into this is when should I be applying that flag leaf fungicide on barley? And, and you know, we talk about the flag leaf contributing a lot of yield to wheat. You know, around that 43% of yield contribution comes from a flag leaf on wheat. This is not the same for barley. The flag leaf in barley is, is actually only about 7% of the yield contribution with a penultimate leaf. So that next leaf down in the stem is about 20 to 40% of the yield contribution. So when we're monitoring for disease and we're seeing it move up the canopy and we're trying to make a decision on which leaf to protect and when to do that timing for flag leaf protection, um, which would be the label, um, uh, how they turn that on the label, we really want to be watching for that penultimate leaf. We want to be watching to see when disease is getting to that point and if we're continuing to see environmental conditions conducive for disease growth, that's the leaf we want to be protecting. Um, so just keep that in mind in future years. I know we're, we're a little bit past that point, but I, I just want to make that clear. So uh, producers and agronomists know that, know that you know both of those leaves are important, but more so on barley, we need to be watching for that penultimate leaf. I've got um, my hand in the management. air. I'm a part of the club that did not know that. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could help out, Sean. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Uh, d- just so, why the difference? Is there is there more to that, or just it's just it's a different crop type? Well, you can actually see it a, a bit in the architecture of of the barley crop. So when you when you if you do barley and wheat side by side and start comparing those leaves, the flag leaf on barley is substantially smaller than what you'll see on wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, so surface area is going to play a huge role in that. And, and, you know, it's just the way that that crop has developed and pulling more energy from that penultimate leaf. Why it went in that direction is yeah. a great question. But uh, physically, when you look at it, the, the structure makes sense. Now, speaking of barley, you're also getting questions about true loose smut. Yeah, so this is something we're seeing uh, a decent amount of pop-up this year um, from the south all the way up to the Peace region in Alberta and, and um, maybe into Saskatchewan as well. But uh, I just want to give a reminder to producers that this is a seed-borne disease. So true loose smut, when you go into the field, you're looking for that black head, right? Um, typically, it's emerging before the rest of the other heads, um, but it's a, like a powdery black head that when you look at it, it becomes very obvious. It's very hard to miss. If you look it up online, you, you'll know um, right away whether that's what you're seeing in the field. Um, and, you know, the questions come in, okay, how is this impacting my yield? What does it mean for me? What does it mean if this is going for seed? Um, so first off, it's important to know that this is a seed-borne disease. Um, so when you're seeing infection like this in the field, uh, that seed lot is now in question of being infected with true loose smut. So um, ask the question of, do I need to be looking for a new seed lot? Um, and definitely you want to get that seed tested if you wanted to use it or if you intend to use it for um, for seed next year. Uh, so get an idea of the percentage of infection, whether you want to manage that with a seed treatment that has 
true loose much or loose mud on the label, um, or you want to look at a new seed lot. Uh, and then the question of how much is this impacting my yield? And you know, you walk into a field where you see true loose mud and it feels like it's everywhere and you're probably lost 50% of your yield. And you got to remember how our eyes perceive issues in the field when we see these things standing out. They're always more significant than we think they are, less significant than we think they are. So actually do account, walk through, hit the percentage that you're dealing with, and the general um, uh, note on yield impact is that for every 1% of heads that are infected, you're losing about 1% of your yield. So you can give a general walkthrough and, and get some numbers and get an idea of how much is impacting you. And then that can help you make decisions on what to do with that seed loss and how to manage things moving forward. But always keep in mind that the best tool to manage this is variety selection in the Alberta Seed Guide, Saskatchewan Seed Guide. You're going to find the um, the resistance for uh, smut, uh, truly smut in those seed guides so you can make management decisions from there as well. Now, uh, across Alberta, it's pretty dry. It's the it's the worst of the three provinces. Um, you know, I'm in Lethbridge, which is really not good on some of the dry land here. That's a, a really an understatement. But we have the option potentially of winter wheat. Now, with, with it being so dry, uh, how do I think about winter wheat from a planning perspective? Uh, basically, just hold tight See if we get some of that September, October rain. What would what, what you do? Yeah. So, and this, this is always the challenge with winter wheat, but, you know, as uh, um, I like what Monica Klaus always says, uh, you know, next year starts now. And that's this time of the year, July, August, we really need to be thinking about, am I going to be putting winter wheat in? And if I want to, I need to be setting myself up for success. Um, if we don't have the inputs and the seed on farm to be making those decisions, if those fall rains come, um, you know, we, we're not going to be able to follow through, Sean. So we need to be thinking about, okay, if I am going to do this, what field am I going to be selecting? Uh, you know, typically we want to be looking at canola. Um, that's going to provide the best results for snow cover, for winter kill management. Um, and, uh, you know, looking at, at, as I've been talking to farmers through the province, um, it seems that we're you know a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of, of harvest or of, of that crop moving forward. So this leads more to that potential of canola providing a good opportunity to get in on time. Um, so then the next question is, is you know do I have a seed source? Calling to your local seed reps um, and and your local seed providers and, and you know what's available? What are they recommending in the region? Looking at your variety selection the Alberta Seed Guide, um, and always keeping in mind where that uh, where that grain is going to end up going. Um, what's your end use? Is it milling ethanol? Are you going to feed? And that's going to play a role in um, which variety you may select. Uh, so keeping all those things in mind, um, and then exactly, Sean. You know, once we get all that lined up, then we're hoping to get that moisture when we get into the early September timeline. Um, you know, we we want um, the majority of the province, uh, other than south of that Highway One line, to be in by you know Labor Day is a good target. September fifteenth um, is where you want to have everything in by. Um, in the southern part of the province, south of, of Highway One, really you know you want it in by September thirtieth, um, and not putting it in too early, even if there is too much, even if that opportunity is there. If you get it in too early, it's just those plants are too big. It, it takes too long for them to be going in the spring. So thinking about that. So yes, John, you know, 
great point. We need that moisture to get it going. Um, but, you know, look at what you typically get in terms of rainfall. Look at your opportunity and get that, get that, get yourself lined up for success. Um, so when those rains do come in the fall, um, there is that opportunity for you to capture that market. Um, and to and to, to create a little bit more diversity in your rotation. Yeah, I think um, I, I think a lot of people kind of of start to avoid it based on fall dryness because you know for for I, probably good reason. But at the same time, during dry spells, it, it does also allow you to really take advantage of some of that spring moisture that you wouldn't if you were going to be seeding in the spring. So it's, it's kind of like this give and take and risk management for, for sure. Now, w- middle of July, we are getting very close. To, we're going to hear a lot about soybean yield estimates and corn yield estimates and the math that goes with that. But we can also do this when it comes to things like wheat as as well and, and looking at some of the number of heads and the kernel assessments. So talk about that. Yeah, Sean, this is, I mean, I feel like I bang on this every time I have a conversation with you. But my goodness, like this year that we're dealing with, we had severe drought in, in the spring. Uh, this impacted tillers. This impacted the number of plants we have per square foot. But then... You know, we did get some moisture in in later June, and we're seeing bits of it, it across the province. You know, there are those challenge those challenged areas that are still looking terrible. Um, but in those areas where we are seeing moisture, um, you know, this is a good time to take a look and say, okay, in these situations, how does tiller number, how does kernel count, and how does that early drought impact my yield potential? Um, and, and start taking those counts, walk into the field. How many tillers, how many heads am I seeing per square foot? How does that compare to previous? Cause gosh, I hope people are taking these counts even in good years as well. What am I seeing in the field now compared to last year? What's the differential? And then when we get to the end of the year, um, and, and we see what that difference is between our average or where we expect it to be, where we targeted and, and where we got with these conditions, um, we can start getting a better idea about how these situations impact our yield um, when we get later in the season and start asking, okay, what is my yield rather than throwing out an estimation based on how we feel. We can say, okay, we, we're getting this number of many tillers uh, per square foot. And, you know, I have a decent amount of kernel set per spike. So the potential is there if I can fill that grain. Um, so, it, it just it's another tool in the toolbox for for decision making and getting an idea of what I'm actually seeing in the field uh, based on the environmental conditions we've been dealing with. So and it's also a great opportunity to you know am I seeing fusarium and headlight? And I know we've been relatively dry, um, but you know it's a good opportunity for that. And I mentioned smut before; it's a good opportunity to walk through and see how things are looking. What's the quality? Um, of, of that head fill looking like. Um, so like checking your, your plant stand counts at that herbicide timing, this is the perfect timing to get in there, look at your tillers, look at your kernel set, get an idea of where you're sitting based on average because um, all of that information is going to be uh, part and parcel to making better decisions in future years. And the more often you do that, the more confident you're going to be with how your crop looks and what that means for what's going in the bin. Jeremy, great stuff. It's awesome to have you here on the show. Really, really do appreciate it. Uh, We'll have you again very, very soon and look forward to it. Hey, have an awesome week, bud. Yeah, thanks, Sean.
That is Jeremy Boych, an agronomy research extension manager with Alberta Wheat and Barley Commission. And you can also find Jeremy on our Wheat School. So go to wheatschool.com. It's also, if you're a subscriber on YouTube, you can check it out there as well. Really timely agronomic videos that really help you out. And the best part is they're on demand because they're on YouTube. You can watch them when you need the information. Great library there going back a number of years. Alberta Wheat has been a great supporter of the Wheat School along with Syngenta Canada and CNM Seeds. So really appreciate that sponsorship. Uh, Check it out, wheatschool.com. We'll be right back on Real Ag Radio. We've got to finish up with Peter Wee Pete Johnson right after this. Peter Johnson at Wheat Pete, realagriculture.com. I'm the host of The Word, and I love doing The Word. I love the questions. I love the challenges. I love having to apply agronomics to all over the globe and areas outside of my normal jurisdiction. Also, I love the feedback the most where growers challenge me, tell me about their plot results, help me to learn. The Word, absolutely the best part of my day. Canola is more than just a pretty face in the prairie landscape. It's a big business, both here and around the world, that requires you to be informed and up-to-date on everything it takes to grow a successful crop. The Canola School on realagriculture.com has an expert library of video resources covering markets, agronomy, and more to help you grow a healthy and profitable canola crop. Visit canolaschool.com today. Brought to you by BASF Canada and Invigor Hybrid Canola. Oh, today we get to finish up Agronomic Monday with Peter Wheat Pete Johnson. Hey, Pete, how are you doing? I am awesome, thanks, Sean. It could quit raining. Which I, man, it's we were in the drought, now we're in the deluge, and, and my wheat crop is ready to come out of the field. It's just more like, ah, but other than that, uh, Pete is excellent, other than it could quit raining, because I want to get the combine in the field. Yeah, rain at harvest, not... Like, it's funny, you know, sometimes you'll hear, like, oh, the farmers must be happy. Yeah, I've been happy in June. Uh, not yeah. now, but... Uh, well, yeah. the corn's happy. The corn, the, the, that, that the is right, and the soybeans will be very happy in August, but not, no, not, no, not no, the people no. trying to combine. Soybeans are terribly unhappy. We've had too much rain, actually, Sean. They are, like yellow and tile run and root rots and the edible beans are worse. I have growers that have had edible beans underwater three times now. And uh, so the beans are, the beans are not happy. The corn is happy because it's using a third of an inch of water per day now. So it can, it can tolerate, but my own farm has had six inches of rain, 150 millimeters in the last Two weeks. I think I haven't had that all year. You, like, quit rubbing. You're rubbing my nose in it. No, I'm not, Sean. My <laughs> my wheat crop. Like, it's not what I mean to do at all. Man. Yeah, I know. Like, just, just, yeah, giving you a hard time. Hey, Pete. Uh, before we continue the discussion, we got to talk about Granny Boar from U.S. Borax. Ask for it by name. Make sure you go to Borax. Dot com. Okay, let's uh, let's dig in here, Pete. Uh, we've already talked to Albert Tanuda from Omafra. We talked to Jeremy Boychin. So we've we've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, you know, this is an issue I think that's impacting. I know right now it is impacting us here in southern Alberta. The smoke, uh, which is creating a lack of sunshine. I know Eastern Canada has been dealing with the same thing. What sort of impact do you think this is going to have? This lack of sunshine on uh, some of these crops. Yeah, so what's really 
it, it just, we need sunshine. We know we want that bright sunshine. Now, I don't want to overplay the sunshine factor because you get sort of 85% photosynthetic efficiency, even on a cloudy day. And you say, well, that's pretty good. But I really would like 100% photosynthetic efficiency, especially now with corn, we are into the critical window. So it's, it's two weeks before tassel and two weeks after tassel that or 10 days before tassel. And, and that's exactly where we're in. And so that corn needs to be photosynthesizing just flat out. And it just stays cloudy, cloudy, cloudy. There's just clouds all the time. It's just, you know, drizzly, uh, just little showers, sometimes bigger rain, but we just can't get sunshine. So, for example, my brother, uh, awesome up, up in the Bruce County, up near Tara, and he's got a raspberry patch, and, and I always enjoy his raspberries. Normally, when the raspberries come on, he'll the first few times, he'll pick just, you know, two, three, four quarts, whatever. And then, then once that patch comes on, he could be picking 12 or 16 or 20 quarts a day because it just, once it comes on, it just explodes. He's still like four quarts, four quarts, four quarts. It just is really slowing down all of that development because we're staying cloudy. It's warm, it's muggy, it's humid, but the other impact that I really wonder about is the soil is not is not warm in it's it's wet. Wet soils are cool soils. It's not getting sunshine, it's not getting high temperatures. Normally this time of year we're fighting twenty eight, thirty 32 and it'll be 22 degrees with a humidex of 35 it's that humid but the soil bugs it's 22 to the soil bugs it's not 28 or 30 so the rate of release of nitrogen out of that organic matter is i think probably less than we normally experience plus the areas that have gotten the right rainfall amounts that, you know, corn, as I said, is using that, that rainfall. Well, Bill Dean's research for every inch of rain that you get, you need to add another 25 pounds of nitrogen because that rainfall in this time of the year increases your yield potential. So if we don't get shorted too much by stupid lack of sunshine, the corn crop is setting up to be a monster here in Ontario and monster corn, typically we need more nitrogen and we're not, if we don't get it out of the soil organic matter, you start saying, wow, uh, it's too late now. In fact, it's so wet in some places that I have clients that couldn't get their, their sec, their late nitrogen application on. They simply couldn't get through the field. It was that wet. And, and now we're really kind of caught. The upside is that, Corn still takes up, you know, 38, 37, 38% of its nitrogen after tassel. So if, if we can get a high clearance unit in, we still have some potential there. But wow, there's just a whole lot of things that these cloudy days and lots of rainfall make you wonder about. Now, we've got some interesting trialing research being done in Western Canada where growers are, are, are trying to sort out this idea of ultra early seeding of, of mainly wheat. Um, Talk about some some work that you've been paying attention to and are really looking forward to the results. 
So this is so cool, Sean. You know me, uh, I, and we've talked about it how many times on on Agronomy Monday or or on the Word or whatever. But like, get the wheat in the ground. Like, what are you doing sitting in the in the house in March when you could be out there putting that wheat in the ground? Well, you know what is so cool about farmers is sometimes they hear a weirdo like wheat peat talk about that stuff. And they say, well, if that works, why can't we take it even one step further? So Daniel Konopelski in Saskatchewan, uh, he's on Twitter. People can, can have a look at what he's doing. It, it, so he planted winter wheat in September in Saskatchewan. That's sort of normal. It's in, in decent time there. But then he went out and it was October 31st and he dormant seeded spring wheat. And then in the spring, he planted more spring wheat. But since the snow melted, he's only had 83 millimeters of rainfall, which compared to some areas, that's a lot. But it's three inches, three and a half inches of rain. It's not really enough to grow a wheat crop. But his dormant seeded spring wheat and his winter wheat that he seeded in September, both of those are going to make grain. And some of his later stuff probably is going to be struggle to make grain unless there's all of a sudden a bunch more moisture because it just it didn't get access to that early moisture that snow moisture but what's really cool is, is that they're side by side he sends pictures of both of them they are neck and neck the winter wheat and the dormant seeded october 31st spring wheat from a maturity standpoint you look at head size you look at kernels in the head you, you and Daniel's comment actually was, you know, who's going to cross the finish line first? They're so close. And Brian Barris, researcher with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, saying, following it as well, saying, wow, this is this is just phenomenal stuff. And poor Brian has a research site at the Palmer Farm. That's somewhere in south, southern Alberta. You can tell me where it is, Sean. But they've only had three millimeters of rainfall since the snow left yeah. and brian says it's at that location even the ultra early seeded wheat is just is just a mess it just there was not enough moisture to make a crop yeah during a commercial break earlier i was telling albert tenuta that you know we're in the palliser triangle here and palliser had some comments about this triangle and we didn't listen <laughs> <laughs> yeah way back way back when he knew <laughs> Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's the thing. Like, when you're only getting three millimeters of rain, I don't care what you planted, unless you got cactuses in the ground. It's it, it's 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 pretty difficult. And and so I think let, let's just say average, slightly below average sort of rainfall. You know, I'm in kind of a geography where we could you know if it made sense to plant spring wheat around you know the Halloween 15th of November. A lot of times that spring, that, you know, that spring moisture, that wet snow you get in the early spring, that may be the only moisture you get. And so already having the crop in the ground, there's, I, I'm, I'm very interested in how the yield turns out. Uh, there's some definite learnings here. And, and obviously to replicate this in a couple of years going forward to see, you know, because every year brings different conditions, but this is something to follow very closely. Yeah. And I'm so glad, Sean, once again, Sean is a budding agronomist. I'm very impressed because you said replicate for a couple of years or, you know, it, every season is different. And it's worked this year yeah. for Daniel. It's just 
so cool. But but next year, you know, you get no snow and minus 40, that spring wheat could be dead and, and you have to plant it in the spring. So there's lots of what ifs, but you're 100% right. Using that, when you're dry, don't give up any moisture at all to evaporation in the spring because it just costs you, costs you, costs you. Now, did, did you, you said budding agronomist, but I think you meant budding researcher, I think is what you meant, right? Oh, you want to be a researcher now? <laughs> good for you, Sean. I'm impressed. I'm like, wow, good for you. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, Pete, what do you have on tap this week? What's, what's, what's going on in uh, Peter Johnson's world? In Peter Johnson's world, man, it is all about, number one, scouting for diseases like Albert Tenuta and you talked about tar spot, white mold. We're using all of those apps. We're, uh, we're also trying to make some calls on wet beans. Is there anything we can do from that perspective? There's a suggestion that maybe Eutricia uh, or Invita, because it's a, a nitrogen deficiency, we can't apply nitrogen. That is actually a negative. But maybe if the plant could make a little itself, so we might be playing around with that. And the other thing that's, that's big on Peter Johnson's world, uh, two things, actually. Uh, tonight, if the weather's good enough, we'll be up finally in a hot air balloon ride. Uh, I'm a little worried the weather isn't good enough. And Peter Johnson would like to combine his own stinking wheat crop. Are you still trying to get this hot air balloon ride in? We are still trying to, we've scheduled and rescheduled and, and what, they are very cautious. What comes first, the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup or Pete getting up in that hot air balloon? Lord, I hope it's Pete getting up in the hot air balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. Hey, make sure everybody you check out We Pete's Word. New episode drops every single Wednesday. Pete does a great job of answering your agronomic questions. If you do have some questions for him, make sure you get them in. Pete Johnson at realagriculture.com. Pete, have yourself a great week. You as well, Sean. Thanks so much for having me, man. Oh, this is a fun show here today. I love it. Okay, hey, if you, do, if you have any feedback, send me an email, shaney at realagriculture.com. You can find us across all the different social media platforms. Our username on all of them is Real Agriculture. There's too many to name at this point. I get tired of riffing on that. Also, uh, you can call the Real Ag Feedback Line, 855-776-6147. Thanks, everybody, for getting real and getting connected with Real Ag Radio, and we'll chat again tomorrow. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, everybody.